Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash legaleagleradio to sign up now. When scholars look back on the 2016 election, one of the strangest, most befuddling things, though by no means the strangest or most befuddling things, will be that this guy was the putative frontrunner for the Democratic nominee for the President of the United States. And that's when things got weird. Michael Avenatti, the attorney who rose to fame for his representation of Stormy Daniels in lawsuits against President Trump, has now been convicted and sentenced to two and a half years in prison for attempting to extort Nike. And his legal journey is just beginning. By all accounts, it looks like he's going to go to prison for a lot longer before all of this is done. And Avenatti's journey from litigator for the resistance to disgraced heel of the legal profession is one of the steepest falls that many can remember. And his legal troubles are far from over. In December, he will stand trial for allegedly stealing $300,000 from Daniels. Right now, he is currently on trial in Los Angeles on charges that he embezzled $10 million from five clients. During jury selection, Avenatti fired his lawyer and got the green light to represent himself. You might think that this is a pretty standard move, but believe me, defendants representing themselves in a criminal trial is the stuff of bad movies, like this one starring Vin Diesel with hair. Have you had any legal experience? I've been in prison half my life. Sometimes I think I had too much legal experience. But you guys, this scene actually happened in real life. Avenatti told the judge he was qualified to represent himself because he had just participated in his own criminal trial. He told the judge, I've made appearances in less than five, maybe two or three criminal cases, your honor. I have never tried a criminal case. And then he also mentioned his participation in the Nike extortion case in the Southern District of New York. When the judge asked about Avenatti's participation in criminal sentencing, he again brought up the time a few weeks ago when he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. This is literally a joke from The Simpsons. And as for your case, don't you worry. I've argued in front of every judge in the state, often as a lawyer. Of course, legal warnings about the folly of representing yourself date back all the way to 1682. There's a reason for the saying, a man who represents himself has a fool for a client. And today we're going to answer the question, just how foolish is Michael Avenatti? The answer, very. It appears to be amateur hour. So who is this guy anyway? Any discussion of the Avenatti saga has to start with that question. And Michael Avenatti was not well known outside of California legal circles until he burst onto the scene by suing Donald Trump on behalf of Stormy Daniels. Avenatti's willingness to opine on Trump made him an attractive guest for cable news hits. In fact, he made over 250 television news appearances in less than two years. And then he represented Julie Swetnick in a misconduct claim against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh once again, putting himself front and center. But not everyone was an Avenatti fan. He got into an argument with Michael Cohen's lawyer, whom he derided for representing a felon. This is astoundingly bad commentary by Avenatti, not to point out the obvious, but now he is such a felon in need of representation, though perhaps his philosophy is why he wants to represent himself. And Avenatti got into frequent arguments with just about everyone, including well-known former prosecutor Ken White, who you might know as Pope Hat on Twitter. And after one of their Twitter rows, Avenatti called up White to yell and curse and proclaim himself the greatest lawyer who ever lawyered, which of course is incredibly ironic given his current location. 
That is not a very smart guy. Though many people thought he was a charlatan from the start, millions of people were fooled. His pugnacious TV appearances made him a popular Twitter personality and earned him speaking engagements all over the country. At one point in 2017, Avenatti announced he was considering running for president. He even visited Iowa to prepare for the presidential primary. Michael Avenatti looked like a man who was king of the world, flying around the world on private jets and owning his own race car company. But behind the scenes, Avenatti was already cracking. Let's start at the beginning of Michael Avenatti's legal career. In the year 2000, Michael Avenatti graduated first in his class from the George Washington University School of Law. Just three years later, GW established the Michael J. Avenatti Award for Excellence in Pretrial and Trial Advocacy. Getting an award named after you so quickly means two things. One, you are making a lot of money, and two, you are donating a lot of that money. Though Avenatti has always had a gift for scrapping and digging up dirt. Before his law career, he worked for former Obama Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel's consulting firm, where he researched the backgrounds of Democratic and Republican candidates, looking for the details candidates could use to bring down their opponents. But after law school, Avenatti moved to California and became a well-regarded plaintiff's attorney. In 2008, Avenatti won a $32 million judgment against KPMG for audit malpractice. In 2014, he achieved a $80 million class action settlement with the Los Angeles Cemetery, which dumped the remains of Jewish people into a mass grave. And in 2017, he secured a $454 million judgment against Kimberly Clark for defective surgical gowns. Although Avenatti claimed to have won $1 billion for his clients, many of those verdicts were substantially reduced on appeal. Still, by any measure, Avenatti had been a very successful trial lawyer. This was enough to get him the attention of the legal world, but outside of it, no one really knew his name. In 2015, he had fewer than 600 Twitter followers, most of whom were lawyers and law firms. And despite his professional success, Avenatti has never been able to keep his nose for conflict from interfering with his business and professional lives. He fought with a former law partner, resulting in an order requiring him to pay one non-equity partner $15 million in back pay. He then was ordered to pay $4.85 million for failing to pay a debt to a former colleague. And eventually his law firm was evicted from its Orange County offices for allegedly failing to pay months of rent. And Avenatti's troubles extended to his other business connections. In 2013, Avenatti purchased a Seattle coffee chain called Tully's. His partner in the endeavor was McDreamy himself. No, not Dr. Mike. Original recipe, McDreamy, Patrick Dempsey. Dempsey actually sued to back out of the sale just months later, allegedly that Avenatti had taken on a $2 million loan without telling him. Avenatti purchased the coffee company through a larger entity called Global Baristas. Global Baristas struggled to pay suppliers and landlords and had more than 45 lawsuits filed against it. The company lost a lawsuit with Keurig, then a battle with the IRS, and then closed down all of the Tully stores. While his businesses were beset by litigation and tax problems, Avenatti was maintaining a jet-set lifestyle. He owned a $19 million mansion, numerous expensive race cars, and two private jets. But then the bad times came. They say bad things happen in threes, and that's certainly been true for Michael Avenatti. So let's look at the three most recent cases. First is the Nike extortion case. Avenatti was arrested in March of 2019, minutes after tweeting that he had scheduled a press conference to, quote, disclose a major high school slash college basketball scandal perpetrated by Nike that we have uncovered. Avenatti was trying to get ahead of the fallout from federal charges that accused Avenatti of trying to extort Nike. The charges stem from a meeting set up by Avenatti with Nike that took place on March 19th, 2019. The meeting was held under the pretense that Avenatti represented a youth basketball coach who had information that Nike employees paid the families of high school athletes. Avenatti's client was Gary Franklin, the coach of a youth basketball team called California Supreme. The team competed in the AAU leagues, which are a hotbed of college basketball recruiting. Major sneaker companies like Reebok and Nike and Adidas all hang around with the players and college scouts, creating an atmosphere of general shadiness. And Coach Franklin testified that he was bullied by Nike executives who forced him to make illicit payments to top high school basketball players and their 
families. Franklin said that in 2018, the company ended its sponsorship of the team and he turned to Avenatti for help. During this meeting, Avenatti demanded that Nike pay Franklin $1.5 million. Avenatti also wanted Nike to pay him and his co-counsel, famed defense lawyer Mark Gergos, 15 to $25 million to conduct a internal investigation on Nike's behalf. Avenatti, who allegedly had a debt of over $11 million at the time, said that he planned an announcement on the eve of Nike's quarterly earnings call and at the start of the annual NCAA tournament if they did not agree to the terms of this agreement. Avenatti was betting that Nike would rather pay him off rather than suffer the PR hit, which Avenatti predicted would tank Nike's stock by billions of dollars. As Avenatti put it in their meeting, quote, the company will die, not die, but they are going to incur cut after cut after cut, and that's what's going to happen as soon as this thing becomes public. Unfortunately for Avenatti, Nike's lawyers, who are some of the best paid and most well-regarded attorneys in the country, were not cowed and instead called the U.S. Attorney's Office. Nike's lawyers asked Avenatti to repeat his offer. Was he really saying he should get at least $15 million when his client was only getting $1.5 million? Stupidly, not sensing a trap, Avenatti said he sure was. But I'm not around. So why was this an incredibly foolish move? Because the law of extortion. The Department of Justice has traditionally been cautious about charging attorneys with extortion. That's because it's perfectly legal to negotiate a settlement for a client. Most civil cases settle. Lawyers usually kick things off with a demand letter followed by negotiations and sometimes a mediation. It's legal to make demands in the context of negotiations, even crazy demands for lots of money. So when do a lawyer's demands become extortion? Well, federal extortion is covered by the Hobbs Act. And this is a law that makes extortion and blackmail illegal. And the Hobbs Act defines extortion as, quote, the obtaining of property from another with his consent, induced by wrongful use of actual or threatened force, violence, or fear under color of official right. Now, the line between extortion and legal settlement negotiations is not well demarcated. A threat of litigation is generally not considered criminal. This is true even if the lawyer's threats to sue are supported by false testimony or fabricated evidence. Federal courts have held that if a lawsuit is not pursued exclusively by lawful methods, threat of litigation might constitute extortion. And the courts look at many factors, including whether an entity like Nike was more afraid that his actual illegal conduct would be exposed, or more afraid of publicity from illegitimate threats. And if that sounds murky to you, that's because it really is. Lawyers have a professional responsibility to zealously represent their clients, and Avenatti argued that he was doing just that against a company that had committed wrongdoing. However, if a lawyer starts to stray from their responsibility to their clients, that's a huge red flag. And this is where Avenatti ran into trouble. When a lawyer uses methods like publicity, grossly exaggerated demands and false information, a negotiation can turn into an illegal shakedown. And remember, Avenatti wasn't asking Nike to pay the fees Franklin incurred. He wanted Nike to pay him and Garagos millions of dollars to act as internal investigators. Federal prosecutors said Avenatti took advantage of Franklin, hoping to use his client to pay off his massive personal debt. Coach Franklin said he wanted his team back and two Nike executives fired, but Avenatti ignored what his client actually wanted. Instead, Avenatti started asking Nike to pay him personally. And on top of that, he apparently didn't disclose these payment demands to Franklin. The coach also said he knew nothing about Avenatti's plan to hold a press conference. And this is, of course, strikingly similar to how Avenatti allegedly handled litigation with Daniels, ignoring her stated goals while pursuing his own. The jury obviously was swayed by the FBI recordings where Avenatti pressured Nike to agree to his terms or suffer the consequences. And if you don't want to do that, we're done. I'm not around with this and I'm not continuing to play games. You guys know enough now to know you got a serious problem and it's worth more in exposure to me to just blow the lid on this thing. A few million dollars doesn't move the needle for me. 
I'm just being really frank with you. Obviously, the emphasis of the phone calls appeared to be what was good for Avenatti personally, rather than what was right for his client. And the jury probably also considered Avenatti's threat to take $10 billion off of Nike's market cap by disclosing Franklin's allegations. This was construed as a grossly exaggerated economic threat. And at the conclusion of the three-week trial, a verdict by a unanimous jury found Michael Avenatti guilty on all counts. The jury didn't buy the defense's closing argument that, quote, in the words of Nike itself, he went in there to just do it for his client. At Avenatti's sentencing, he appeared tearful and apologetic. He said, quote, I and I alone have destroyed my career, my relationships, and my life. And he continued, quote, Your Honor, I've learned that all the fame, notoriety, and money in the world is meaningless. TV and Twitter, Your Honor, mean nothing. Amen to that. Still, this tactic was probably a good one. He seemed to be getting reasonably good legal advice because the sentence that he ultimately got was significantly lower than what the prosecutors wanted him to get. The judge sentenced him to two and a half years in prison. And the judge cited two things for the downward departure from the guidelines. The horrible conditions in the Manhattan jail where Avenatti spent more than 100 days and the absence of Mark Garagos. Prosecutors declined to charge Garagos even though he attended all the meetings with Avenatti and played good cop to Avenatti's bad cop. The judge called Garagos quote, a central figure in the criminal conduct. The judge listened to the Avenatti tapes and concluded that Garagos's conduct simply wasn't distinguishable from Avenatti. And that is an interesting question. But that is just the tip of the Avenatti iceberg because he faces continued legal jeopardy in California where he used to primarily practice. Avenatti is now on trial for defrauding clients and absconding with payments to them. Specifically, a federal ground jury indicted Avenatti on 36 counts of fraud, perjury, failure to pay taxes, embezzlement, and other financial crimes. The indictment alleges that Avenatti stole several million dollars from five clients and used a variety of shell companies and bank accounts to cover up his crimes. And the crimes range from stealing from a mentally ill paraplegic on disability who won a $4 million settlement in a suit against Los Angeles County to a $2.5 million settlement that was primarily used for the purchase of a private jet allegedly. Now, Avenatti is now acting as his own lawyer in these criminal cases, meaning that he is literally going to cross-examine former clients who now accuse him of stealing from them. For example, on the first day of trial, Avenatti confronted Jeffrey Johnson, who Avenatti represented in a lawsuit over injuries he sustained while jumping from an elevated floor in a Los Angeles jail. Johnson tried to kill himself twice after bullying and attacks by inmates and corrections officers. Avenatti negotiated a $4 million settlement with Los Angeles County, but the money was put in a medical trust that Avenatti controlled. Johnson accused Avenatti of draining nearly all of the $4 million in settlements while paying Johnson roughly $1,900 a month to lull him into thinking his money was safe. Though perversely, Avenatti's cross-examination of Johnson gives us a good window on what made him a good trial lawyer in the first place. Avenatti got Johnson to admit that he hired Avenatti to get him out of jail by any means necessary and that Avenatti delivered. Johnson admitted that Avenatti got him released to a medical center and that Avenatti paid the bill for all of it. Johnson admits that the care center cost several thousand dollars a month and that Avenatti paid for that as well. And all this sounds like Avenatti did real work on the case, and he probably did. But as the prosecution established on direct examination, Avenatti asked Johnson to sign a peculiar document attesting to his ethics and great work as a lawyer. The document says Avenatti is, quote, an exceptional, honest, and ethical attorney, and I feel fortunate to have had him represent me. There's just one giant problem with this attestation. Avenatti had been charged with stealing Johnson's settlement the day before he asked Johnson to sign the document, and Johnson apparently didn't know that Avenatti had been accused of embezzling the funds. At any rate, if Avenatti is convicted of all of the charges in the California indictment, Avenatti could face many more 
years in prison on top of the two and a half years he already got from the New York prosecutors. Which brings us to the Stormy Daniels case. Later this year, Avenatti will stay in trial yet a third time, bringing his time in the public eye full circle. Avenatti will have to defend himself against charges of wire fraud and aggravated identity theft in the case involving Stormy Daniels. Though ironically, by this time, he'll have quite a lot of experience as a criminal defense attorney, meaning he might actually know what he's doing this time around. Avenatti is accused of using misrepresentations in a fraudulent document purporting to bear the name of Stormy Daniels and her own signature to convince her literary agent to send him the money the agent owed Daniels for a book advance. Once Avenatti fraudulently obtained the money, he allegedly used it to pay for typical attorney expenses such as restaurants, meal delivery services, and car payments on his Ferrari. When Daniels began to question where her money was, Avenatti lied that he was still trying to obtain it from the publisher, and then when he finally paid her, he did so by improperly diverting funds from another source. This is uh, the same kind of alleged conduct that Avenatti pulled with Patrick Dempsey and the California clients. If Avenatti isn't disbarred as a result of the prior two cases, if he's found guilty in this particular case, he absolutely will be disbarred from ever practicing law again. And Avenatti potentially faces a maximum of 20 years for the wire fraud case in addition to a mandatory two year prison sentence for the aggravated identity theft charge. Oh, and of course, it won't surprise you to learn that Avenatti wasn't shooting straight with the IRS either. During the commission of all of these alleged crimes, Avenatti had a four-year streak where he did not file personal income tax returns, and three of those years, he did not file tax returns for both of his law firms. In addition, he allegedly lied to the IRS about pocketing nearly $2.4 million in taxes withheld from the paychecks of employees of Global Baristas US, which operated the now-defunct Tully's Coffee Stores. And in the California case, the jury's already heard testimony from three other former clients. Avenatti allegedly stiffed YouTuber Michelle Phan, a makeup artist, out of at least $4 million. Avenatti's former paralegal testified that she was instructed to give Phan the runaround on an $8 million wire transfer of funds that belonged to Phan. Eventually, Avenatti told the paralegal to send partial payment of $4 million, but Avenatti allegedly embezzled the other $4 million. Additionally, Gregory Barella alleges that Avenatti ran his law firm like a Ponzi scheme, accusing him of stealing settlement funds and then trying to lend him the funds at a 10% interest rate. Avenatti handled litigation for Barella, securing him a settlement of over $2 million. But in January 2018, a third party started paying funds into a client trust fund managed by Avenatti for him to pass on to Barella. But instead of doing so, Avenatti allegedly told Barella that the third party never paid the settlement money. When Barella hired new lawyers to get the settlement funds, the third party told him that they had already paid money to Avenatti. Alexis Gardner hired Avenatti to represent her in a lawsuit against her ex-boyfriend, NBA basketball player Hassan Whiteside. Avenatti negotiated a settlement of around $3 million in early 2017. He told Gardner that the money would be doled out in monthly increments, but during 2018, the monthly payments stopped. Avenatti assured Gardner that he was hounding Whiteside every week about missing payments. However, prosecutors say that in reality, Whiteside's financial team had already paid Avenatti a lump sum of $2.7 million a year earlier. They allege that Avenatti spent the money on private airplanes and other luxuries. If these allegations are true, Avenatti has committed fraud and broken many of the rules of professional conduct for lawyers. When a lawyer receives money meant for a client, the lawyer doesn't own that money. That's common sense. The lawyer has to keep that in trust. ABA Model Rule 1.5 covers this exact scenario. Quote, a lawyer shall hold property of clients or third persons that is in a lawyer's possession in connection with a representation separate from the lawyer's own property. Funds shall be kept in a separate account maintained in the state where the lawyer's office is situated or elsewhere with the consent of the client or third person. 
Although the rules of professional conduct are not criminal laws, when lawyers misuse client funds, criminal charges may follow if those actions rise to the level of criminal conduct. And here, if these allegations are true, that standard is definitely met. Prosecutors accused Avenatti of lying to Gardner and Barella about the structure of their payments. The model rules cover this as well, quote, upon receiving funds or other property in which a client or third person has an interest, a lawyer shall promptly notify the client or third person, which Avenatti allegedly did not do. The bottom line here is that Avenatti is going to prison for a very long time, regardless of the outcome of these California cases. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone, trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash Legal Eagle Radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.